Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Simon Ford at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Great to be together and great to have the children among us as well this morning. We're going to be continuing our journey in the book of Acts. And we've titled the series, By My Spirit. Because without God's Spirit working, none of these significant events um, or encounters that we read about in the book of Acts would have actually occurred. Acts shows that we cannot work life out by ourselves. You know, we, just, we discover that the Lord's purposes for us are actually above and beyond what we might map out for ourselves. You know, we've each been given a beautiful life from God that actually we could never work out by our own might or our own willpower. But by my spirit, says the Lord. That is true. Absolutely true. And a couple of weeks ago in our PM service, Graham uh, put up an image, a beautiful image that I think demonstrates so wonderfully our need to allow God to do his unique work in our lives in order for us to blossom as people. You know, try unfolding a rosebud, for example, to produce a beautiful rose. Now, if I tried to do that, that poor old rosebud would be a mess on the floor. I don't know the secret, actually, of unfolding flowers. Um, but God does, and he opens that rose so beautifully for it to blossom. If I cannot unfold a rosebud, you know, it's a mere flower of God's design, then how can I have the wisdom to unfold my own life? You know, the path that lies before you and before me, only God knows. And so the question is, will we trust God to unfold our lives just as he unfolds that rosebud? It's a matter of trust and faith. And children, you know that the first four books of the Bible, I'm sure you all do, first one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And these four books, we call the Gospels, and they record the birth and the life of Jesus Christ. They record his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's where they finish. But there's a fifth book, uh, which is the fifth book of the Bible, of the New Testament, <laughs> that uh, records something else. It's called Acts. It's written also by Luke, who also wrote a gospel. It's often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But in reality, it's the continuing Acts of Jesus. Jesus. But now by his Spirit, through people like you and me, being willing to work with him. And that's why Luke begins the book of Acts like this. He says, in my former book, and of course he's referring to the gospel according to Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not all that Jesus did teach and taught, uh, did teach. 
No, he didn't say that. Why? Because Jesus' works in the world were not completed by his death and his resurrection. Salvation was, but not his works in the earth. They were not completed. So Luke begins a book that is currently being written, but he begins it. It's the, um, the second book that he wrote, and it's about the story of the continuing works and teachings of that same person, Jesus Christ, but now by his Spirit. It's a wonderful thing to see. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross, he said that, uh, that he had to go away. That to them was heartbreaking. Why did he have to go away? That the Spirit might come. That the Spirit might come to them and the Spirit might work in you and living ways in the earth. See, when Jesus was in the flesh on the earth, if he was in Jerusalem, he couldn't be in Caesarea. But Jesus can be everywhere present now by his Holy Spirit. Not that God has ever not been present everywhere, but we're talking about Jesus the true human being. So he's present by his spirit. Before Jesus ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father, he said this to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The key is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came just as Jesus promised. It came to a group of Jews, predominantly that were gathered there in Jerusalem. And Peter was significant, actually, in opening the kingdom to the Jews in Jerusalem at that time. Then in Acts 8, Peter again is significant in opening the kingdom to the Samaritans by his Spirit. That is, by the Spirit of Jesus. And in Acts 10, which we're going to be looking at today, Peter, by the Spirit, opened the kingdom to the Gentiles. Now, children, the Gentiles were those people who came who were in nations apart from Israel. So they weren't Hebrew people. They were from every other nation. And so we see even in Acts, we see the gospel uh, being worked out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now through what happened in what we're looking at today, through to the ends of the earth and every nation and people. And so today in our series, we're going to look at the story of Cornelius. So let me read now to you from Acts 10. I read the first 20 verses. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He said. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come to me as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. 
About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken up to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Now this is an amazing story, like all these Acts stories are of the sovereignty of God, that God is actually in control. And this story, of course, involves Peter, a Hebrew man, and Cornelius, a Roman man. But see, only God could have linked these two men up in the way that he did. They wouldn't have done it naturally. It just wouldn't have happened. And what did happen, uh, as we'll get to see, has not didn't just have a significant impact in their lives, but has a continuing life-changing impact on the entire world, what happened in Cornelius's house. See, Cornelius was a centurion, so he's a Roman uh, soldier. He's a captain of 100 men. Um, and he was stationed there at Caesarea, which is situated on the coast in Palestine. It's a Roman city, and it's named after Augustus Caesar. And actually, it was the administrative centre, uh, uh, the administrative capital, actually, of, of Judea. And it had this significant, amazing um, palace. It was a harbour palace. It was built, by, built for Herod the Great, built by him for himself. And uh, you'll see a couple of the pictures when Sue and I visited the, to see the palace in Caesarea. Just over my right shoulder, you'll see the amphitheatre there. The amphitheatre just looked out over the ocean, an amazing sight. And uh, you'll see down the bottom right-hand corner there, that was Herod's swimming pool. It was actually built into the ocean. So you could go and bathe they're actually in the water but be protected. And you can see the Caesarea city going up around the court. Just a beautiful place to visit. Not much there at the moment, just the remains. But see, the Lord was already at work there in Cornelius' life. He was a God-fearing man. He was outside of the covenant with Israel. But he was being true to the light that he knew. See, there's a light that lights every man. And will we be true? To that light that lights every man. Well, this man was, Peter was a Jewish man. He was just challenged to the core, deeper than we can appreciate really by the Lord, with this whole matter of racial and national discrimination and favoritism, which is going to be a major barrier to the gospel going out to all the world. You see, whenever the Lord is doing something useful, always does useful things, but when he's doing something good in our lives, it's often not what we would necessarily expect. So we must trust. If we hear from God, 
We must trust him for his ways are above our ways and he's working out things that are above and beyond our plan. And this is what was happening here in this story. And of course the Lord was preparing both Cornelius and Peter for this incredible encounter that we'll touch on. But it is important to appreciate the great gulf that existed between the Hebrew people, the Jewish people and the Gentile people of the day. So this great gulf that was between Peter on one hand and Cornelius on the other. Not that the Old Testament supported such a divide, for Israel was actually uh, God's purpose for Israel was for that might show a more excellent way to the nations of the world. And through Israel would come the saviour of the world. And so um, God's heart has always been for the nations. And by choosing and blessing one family, his intent was to bless all families, every family in the world. And of course, this salvation story begins in Genesis 12, where the Lord said to Abraham, he said this, all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, which is also foretold by the prophets, and that God would pour out his spirit on all humankind. All peoples. There wasn't a divide. There wasn't a restriction. It was for all. The tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism and became filled with racial pride and hatred, despising the Jews. See, they developed traditions that kept them apart so they didn't get contaminated, so they didn't get dirtied. So the, the unclean Gentile people uh, wouldn't affect them. So they... they developed all these rules and regulations to keep them apart. And a Jew would never enter the home of a Gentile. A Jew would never eat with a Gentile. They wouldn't talk. There was a massive divide beyond what I can explain. So this hugely entrenched prejudice that had to be overcome, this prejudice had to be overcome before the gospel, before the Gentiles, could receive the gospel before the Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community and before the church could truly become international and multicultural. And so God was about to break this Jewish-Gentile schism to release the gospel into the world. And Peter was a major, he was the instrument that God was using to change and bring blessing to the world. And by him trusting and obeying God, not his own inclination, and going to Cornelius was all part of that. And of course, God's at work in our lives today, doing exactly the same thing. He's bringing circumstances together. He's bringing people into our lives for purpose. If only we have ears to hear and eyes to see that God is always at work in our lives. We miss so much of what he's doing. You know, during the week I was reminiscing about a lot of these incidences in my own life that I thought were significant. There's one that I thought I'd mention, it's back in the 80s, so it's a long time ago, it's when Sue and I were in a home group um, in another church, and the Lord connected us with this couple in the home group who were very different to us, incredibly different to us. He had a, a very different background, he was a checkered background, a kind of difficult background, he got up to all sorts of things. And he was a tough tradie um, and so on. Of course, I kind of probably believed that I was a, uh, you know, a smart, you know, well brought up young man, uh, professional man, you know. 
and uh, I was about 24 here at the time and things were there for me to do. So, um, you know, I was um, kind of looking a bit down on this man. But anyway, the Lord connected us up and the relationship that we have enjoyed has been lifelong and it's been life-changing. Significant in my life, this one man and his wife. Beautiful people. I praise God for them. But anyway, when we announced the home group that we're heading off to London, I was being transferred with work at that time. This couple immediately suggested a church in London that we should go to. And uh, so on our arrival, we, uh, we visited that church. And boy, we weren't going to stay there. They were wackos. They were spiritual wackos. They were off the planet. And I thought, my goodness, we can't, they're too, they're too different to us. They're over the top. We, of course, were kind of biblically sound and biblically orthodox. And, you know, we were kind of conservative. And we had it right. We knew how things should be done in a church. But the Lord encouraged us to stay against our own natural wishes. And those two years in that church changed our lives. Significant. In breaking prejudices and bringing us on and into a deeper place with the Lord. See, God's ways are above and beyond our ways. They're not just what we fancy. But God's got something better than the fancy. He's got something that's wonderful. And in the book of Acts, back to the story with Cornelius, it begins with Cornelius in Caesarea. And one day he had a vision. And an angel said, Cornelius. And Cornelius said, what is it, Lord? And the the angel said, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon Peter. Who is Peter? He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, Joppa was about 50 kilometres south of uh, Caesarea. So it's about a 10-hour journey um, uh, to travel. You see on the map there, the old town Joppa. It's now actually part of uh, Tel Aviv. Um, And it's interesting that Joppa was the place uh, where Jonah disobeyed God and he boarded a ship and did an exit because his prejudices were too deep for him to actually think that God could forgive the Ninevites. So he exited out of there. uh, But Cornelius and Peter, they obeyed God with life-changing for them and world-changing implications and results. Some pictures there too, I think, of when, uh, when we visited uh, Joppa. So you can see down at the bottom right-hand corner, there's the old port in Joppa. And just through those buildings, you can see the old city and some pictures of the old city. There's Mark Thrift lying out there on his couch on the beach. And there's the beach down there in Joppa. But there Peter was, up on the hill, in a house, um, sitting up there with his deep-rooted national prejudices. Amazing. How was God going to deal with these for him to then come and go with Cornelius? Anyway, about noon the next day, as Cornelius' three men were approaching Joppa, Peter was up on the roof and he was praying. And he had a vision. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth 
and it contains all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. A mixture of clean and unclean animals, creatures. Why? To revolt Peter to the core, the Orthodox Jew. Didn't like it. So what did he say? Well, God said, well, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So much for your food laws. This was shocking for Peter. He couldn't take it. Contrary to his understanding of God's previous teaching and Leviticus and so on. So Peter said, surely not, Lord. You see the great contradiction even in that response. If he is the Lord, if he is the Lord of all, the not doesn't work, does it? Surely not. You're the one who knows everything. And so this happens with us. We think we're Lord and we think we know. And so we go our own ways. We don't actually recognize that the one speaking to us is the Lord of all. He has everything in his hands. And so there's Peter struggling with all of that like we do today. Obedience is the key, of course. We're stuck without obedience, by the way. We're stuck without obeying God. Peter went on to say, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, Peter was struggling. This happened three times. So he's wrestling with God over it. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision and what was going on, three men, do you know who they were? From Cornelius' house. They were at the gate of his house. What about God's timing there? Just as he's struggling with all of that. God is sovereign, and it's how he works in our own lives, if we've got the ears and eyes to see. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter actually went downstairs and said to the three men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? Peter obeyed God. And he was prepared to do what he otherwise wouldn't have done because of God. And the, three men, the, the men replied, We've come from Cornelius, who had a vision. And an angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. So Peter invited the men in and they stayed overnight. See, the vision challenged Peter's distinction between clean and unclean food, the old food law. But the Spirit was relating this distinction to clean and unclean people. And he was saying to Peter to stop making the distinction. Every person is made in the image of God. And every person, every person, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for everyone, No one is therefore now unclean. See, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there's no unclean people. The issue is appropriation of what he's done. It's all being done for us. And so Peter no longer should be making this distinction like he would have done. So the next day, of course, uh, off goes Peter. uh, Takes with him some of the believers from Joppa to help him out on the way, but he heads off to Cornelius' house because when he arrives, he gets welcomed by Cornelius into the house, Cornelius' house. And what has Cornelius done? 
He's gathered together all these Gentile, unclean people. His relatives and his friends and a whole lot. And the house is full of people. And Peter said, one of the first things he said was, you're aware, this is to Cornelius' household, it is against our law. It's not a very good translation. A better translation would be contrary to our ancient customs, taboo. It's taboo for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me, says Peter, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Well, Peter has had revelation that there are no second-class citizens in the world, anywhere in the world, or are made in the image of God to which we owe great honour and love. See, the ground, this is because of the cross. See, the ground is level, endlessly level at the cross. There's no partiality. It's not a matter of nationality. It's not a matter of what we've done or who we are or how good we've been. See, one of the most offensive things about the cross of Christ has always been this levelling. Always. Giving access to thieves, to uh, prostitutes, to outcasts, to wicked people who have done horrendous things. Just as much as it's to the goody-goodies or the religious elites, those that have always done the right thing. It's level. It's for everyone. God's has levelled it. We're all in his image. So that thief on the cross next to Jesus, he couldn't do anything to save himself. And he didn't. But what did Jesus do? Welcomed him in to the kingdom of God. See, Jesus loves and he, uh, all of us and he shows no favoritism or partiality. The book of the month, uh, this month, is a book called uh, Uncomfortable. It's a good book. There's a movie that's mentioned in that book called Secret Sunshine, which I expect none of you have seen. I hadn't seen it until I read the book. It's Korean, I believe. But it highlights this scandal to the very extreme. When a mother who was a new believer in Christ visits her son's murderer in prison because she wanted to forgive him. And uh, she wanted to see the look on his face when she offered this great gift of forgiveness. But when she arrived and she met with this murderer, he was at peace. He seemed happy. She was shocked. But the killer explained that he'd come to faith in Christ in prison. The wretched man that he was and the things that he'd done he wasn't deserving of that. And so there he is, sitting there, forgiven. Amazing. How does she respond? She's shocked. She could not accept this seeming injustice. How a good citizen like her and a convicted child killer could be on the same level in terms of God's grace. And so she walked away from God. Trust not forever. See, what we want to do is we want, to reward, we want, we want God to reward us for doing good. We're also wanting to punish those 
that, uh, that do bad. <laughs> and the problem is that we find it difficult to accept. There's two words, earning and deserving. They're not words that exist in God's vocabulary of grace when it comes to salvation. No. Very difficult. The Jewish establishment in Jesus' day were offended, as many are today, by this whole idea. And they stumble on the grace alone gospel because they want to believe that the things that they do, the things that we do, actually count towards our salvation. But no, they don't. No matter what we've done or what we can do, counts towards our salvation. That murderer, of course, would have carried out the penalty on earth. You may never have been freed here. But God welcomed him into his kingdom if he's a believer. Anyway, Peter went on to say, may I ask why you have sent for me? Good question. So Cornelius says that a man in shining clothes said to send to Joppa for you. So we're all here in the presence of God to hear everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Isn't that beautiful? Just expectant. Here we are. We're here. We're captive. Tell us everything that God has commanded you. And then Peter said this amazing thing. I think it's hugely significant. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts all people from all nations. See, this breaking of the Jewish Gentile barrier opened the floodgates for the gospel of abundant life to come to us today and to be running like a river at the moment in the earth from that day. Because Peter's saying that God's attitude to people is not determined by externalities. He loves us. He accepts all men and women, all boys and girls um, who come to him. And I wonder today what prejudices or favoritisms you might have that God's revealing to you. See, these prejudices and favoritisms that we have are actually often hidden in our lives. God's got to reveal them and show them for what they are. And that's so it's not a natural thing for us to come out of, a, of some of these um, wrong ideas and wrong ways of thinking because we're blind. And these wrong ideas could be huge barriers in our lives to the blessing of God and huge barriers to God working through us and working out his purposes in and through us to bless other people. And so we must humble ourselves and be teachable, ready to respond to the Spirit. Remember Paul. So he was, uh, it took uh, God knocking him to the ground for him to realize his prejudice, his misunderstandings. He got it all wrong. But what did God do with that man? Wow. Blessed him and through him blessed the Gentile world in amazing ways. See, we can have deep-rooted prejudices that arise in our culture. These things arise in our culture. But they also rise up in our own lives. Like, for example, having a list of unforgivable sins that exclude half the population from the grace of God. And from your loving care. Yeah, there could be social arrogance where education and position is so important 
that you naturally favour people in certain vocations or social classes and you befriend them at the exclusion of others. Or preferencing people with same national or cultural background or family backgrounds or experience because you just feel comfortable and they validate that you think rightly and that um, you do the things, the way you do things is the right way of doing things. You know, so you get this validation. Or maybe preferencing people by wrongly looking down on certain personality traits and behaviours that so irritate you that you distance yourself from them. You don't include them in your life at all and there's no care for them. Preferencing certain Christian doctrines. We've all seen it, you know, if people don't agree with you on certain things, the barrier goes up, exclusion. Uh, I don't relate. We've missed out. See, we have this favourite doctrines and favourite themes in the scriptures, you know, that create barriers if we're not careful easily. Things like, you know, we know how God created the earth and the world and the universe and we know how many days it took and we know when God's coming back and uh, we know, you know, uh, you know, are you pre-millennial or a-millennial or, uh, you know, um, post-millennial or whatever it is. They divide. They can so easily divide us. We can preference by age. Where it's all about the younger generation. And the older generation are excluded. Or the other way around. It happens. Or sexism that favours one or the other of the sexes. Or preferencing well-known people, you know, celebrities, or people who are well-known, preferencing them. But see, God loves and God accepts without favouritism all who believe, all who repent and believe in him. He accepts them. So children, no matter whether you're top of the class at school or whether you're good at sport, God loves you and he has a good purpose for you, that he longs to work out in your life. And see, Peter in Acts, he retold the story of the gospel to Cornelius and the household, the good news about the life of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how Jesus is Lord of all. You notice that? He said that uh, he's the judge of the living and he's the judge of the dead. He's the judge of all. So Cornelius is explaining that, and that everyone, says Cornelius, without ex- uh, says Peter, without exception, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius' household. Oh boy. The Jews that came with Cornelius, we read, were absolutely astonished that these Gentiles could receive the same blessing of the Holy Spirit that we received at Pentecost in Jerusalem those days earlier. They were staggered by that. They didn't sort of think there'd be a Gentile Pentecost, uh, but there was uh, in a different form, but there was, and it had worldwide implications as we are part of today. But notice that Peter was speaking, but the Holy Spirit did the work in their hearts and in their lives. Good to read that scripture, but even before Peter had finished speaking, the Holy Spirit came. And that's why it's very important for us, uh, when we're listening to someone speak from the front, that we're not just listening to the words, but actually we're 
we're looking and opening our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit in us because only the Holy Spirit can do the life-changing work that we all need and that's why we cannot ever underestimate or why we cannot underplay or overlook or sideline the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot. Just like only God can unfold a rosebud to produce a beautiful flower. Only and only the Holy Spirit can reveal our prejudices, our deep-rooted prejudices, and remove the barriers to free us into a spacious place that we might live and love and flourish in Christ. Only he can do it. And this is the power and the impartiality of Christ, which is the same power of God for the rescuing and saving of everyone who believes. The Jews first, then the Gentiles, as Paul said. So it's not so let's not build barriers between people by our own prejudices and favoritism and partiality, but let those but but be those, let us be those who let the Spirit of God run like a river in our own hearts and lives, that the Spirit of God might run like a river out of our lives and be a blessing to many. The floodgates might open as these barriers are removed, then the Spirit has greater sway in our lives and we receive greater blessing from God and we discover more of his beautiful heart from us. And so we're going to sing this final song together now, uh, which speaks of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And as we sing, let's take the opportunity, if God is speaking to you, to respond to him in your heart and let him do that work that only he can do to restore you. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.